Hello, listeners, and welcome to a special MacCorp podcast where we'll be interviewing Tim Harrison, Managing Director of Ionic Rare Earths, ASX Code IXR. And without further ado, welcome, Tim, and thanks for joining me in this podcast. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me back. Look, what I'd like to do first, uh, uh, Tim, is just reflect uh, to our listeners um, what's been achieved by, by IXR just over the last uh, six odd months uh, since our last podcast. And these are just, just to name a few. Uh, you've increased the ownership of the project to 60%. You've got two new board members, um, which we'll talk about in uh, Jill, uh, Jill Kelly and Max McGarvey. Um, you've also completed a scoping study. You've raised $12 million. You've increased your jork. And now there's more drilling um, with an extra rig uh, on site as well. So um, you certainly, have you got any sleep in the last uh, six months, Tim? Um, uh, look, you take, you take your chances when you can, um, <laughs> but it's been a pretty busy uh, six months for the company. I mean, realistically, we've, we've been going fairly aggressively at, at bringing Makutu to production as soon as we can. Um, ever since, uh, you know, we, we, we took our initial 20% in the project back in August of, of, of 2019. So um, just to, to correct you, we were at 51% ownership of Makutu as it stands today. Um, and we moved to 60% on completion of the feasibility study, which we're anticipating will be, uh, you know, probably within the next 12 to, to 14 months. Uh, thanks for the correction there, Tim. All right, Tom, what I'd like to sort of start with um, is, is just let's look at the demand and, and the growth of uh, rare earths, you know, since uh, obviously uh, the electric vehicle market uh, has, has evolved um, and the demand and, and is obviously growing and, and will continue to grow, um, you know, in the future. Um, how does that place uh, Ionic? Well, yeah, so Ionic, with its extremely well-balanced product, we are very well leveraged to the, I suppose, this transition that the world's experienced, uh, experiencing now, which is a move away from fossil fuels, um, a move away from being um, dependent on, on carbon sources uh, of, of energy. Um, so moving towards this, this carbon neutrality um, focus, thematic, so EVs, offshore wind turbines are two areas that will use considerable um, or require considerable amounts of, of supply of neodymium and praseodymium, but also dysprosium and terbium. So uh, NDPR and DYTB, these are four magnet rare earths. They're the four most highly sought after and highest value um, rare earths. And so when it comes to Makutu, that represents about 30, 33% of our basket. So about a third of our product, um, specifically in, in those magnet applications. There's a couple of other magnet rare earths, uh, samarium, uh, holmium and gadolidium. So all told, our basket's about 43% magnet rare earths. So we're perfectly weighted towards this, this transition towards carbon neutrality. In addition to that, We've got um, the, the, the heavy rare earths that are going to be, in, um, I suppose, a declining supply in the future. Um, can we more just heavily um, sought? Uh, can, can we just, for our listeners, what, what is heavy rare earths, Tim? So the heavy rare earths are typically um, everything in the lanthanide series. 
So uh, down at the bottom of the periodic table, um, there's a, a block of, of elements, um, the, the lanthanides and the actinides. Um, and the, the lanthanide series is the, the rare earth elements. There. So there's, there's 14 or 15 elements at the bottom of the table. Um, typically, the classification that we use um, at Ionic the, the heavy rare earths is everything from Sumerium onwards. Um, so Sumerium, Europium, um, Gadolidium onwards, um, all the way to um, Letitium and Yttrium. So we also include Yttrium in, the, in that heavy rare earth classification. And these are a, a suite of elements that about 98% of the world supply comes from China. All of the refining capacity um, essentially is in China um, and you know 95% of these heavy rare earths are sourced from exactly the same type of mineralization as Makutu so that's the ionic adsorption clays and those deposits in southern China uh, are being depleted uh, they are running out and so you know well, the, the heavy rare earth upside for supply. very much so looking to source long life low cost heavy rare earths for the future so perfect opportunity to be developing Makutu. And talk about timing, it's, uh, you're well positioned. Right place, right time, you know. Um, <laughs> exactly. You know, it's, um, you know, you've got to be in a position to take advantage when the, the, the opportunity presents itself. I think the time is now. Um, the time is now to be developing this capacity to be able to bring alternative long life low-cost supply of heavy rare earths to a growing demand. Let's talk a bit more about the project. Um, and, and overall, obviously, you've grown to uh, 315 million tonnes of resource um, and, and looking to grow that. Um, it's also low-cost infrastructure. So I just want to talk about, you know, maybe some comparisons or not comparisons as such, but why you stand out compared to um, the the other type of rare earth, uh, now the name escapes me. Uh, Mineralizations. That's like the one I'm looking for. Versus ionic Thanks, absorption Tim. clay. Yep. So can um, you talk a little bit about, um, you know, how that positions ionic, you know, particularly with, with the low cost? Yeah, look, so um, when you're looking at, at understanding the differences between the two, um, it's best to try and sort of take a step back and say, well, um, you've got your ionic adsorption clays and your classification of the, of the, the light rare earth dominant hard rock mineral rare earth projects. So those hard rock mineral projects typically have much higher grades than the ionic adsorption clays, um, but they're typically deeper and the requirement is to concentrate up the minerals. So you need to mine a lot of material to concentrate the rare earths up as a mineral concentrate. As you concentrate those rare earth minerals, you're also concentrating some of the, the radionuclides that, that come with the those primary rare know. earth minerals. Yeah, so you, you're, you're upgrading the concentrations of thorium and uranium. So that mineral concentrate now typically has a, has a, a payability of about 40%. You need to crack those primary minerals. So you need to, to, to solubilize, dissolve those, those rare earth minerals so that you can so then separate out the produce. rare earths. Huge amount of capital required 
Um, if you're looking at, for example, um, you know, Linus's development of their Malaysian facility, I think, you know, probably lost count at what that's cost. I think uh, certainly going back and having a look at the money that, that, that's been invested into that asset, it's over a billion dollars. Well, they're a perfect um, example of how difficult it is to get a project to production. You know, they've come out the other side now and, and doing extremely well, but it, you know, it took a long time for them to get there, including you know, um, uh, getting rid of a lot of debt that they accumulated. That's right. I mean, they've done a tremendous effort. Um, they've, they've built that business. Um, they've been successful over the journey. They're, they're now turning profits. Um, so, you know, congratulations to, to the team there. Um, they've done a fantastic job. Um, you know, and, and given an you, alternative supply as well. Yeah, look, that, that's right. So, but what I would also sort of point out to investors um, is that, you know, Linus makes a light rare earth mineral uh, light rare earth element dominated product so it's it's extremely highly leveraged towards the neodymium and praseodymium pricing um, it's got a small allocation of heavy rare earths small compared to you know the offering that you typically get from an ionic adsorption clay so um, you know the, the the hard rock mineral projects produce you know typically 90 to 95 percent light rare earth dominant products whereas the ionic adsorption clays probably produce a basket that's about 50 50 lights and heavy so it's a balanced product that balanced product means that we're not oversupplying some elements at the detriment of others um, if you were to just focus on developing a, a, a rare earth industry on light rare earth supply alone in order to supply enough heavy rare earths to meet these very niche applications where substitution is not an option. You need to produce vast quantities of the light rare earths. That excessive production of the light rare earths will effectively depress the pricing of some of those higher value light rare earths. And so it becomes a counterintuitive um, outcome in that you know, you're trying to build a, a, a business that's profitable, um, but in order for you to chase the, the, the heavy rare earth requirements, that excessive production of neodymium and praseodymium actually suppresses the prices for neodymium and praseodymium. So um, the Chinese uh, have been successful in balancing the, 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 the requirements of heavy and light rare earths by using a blend of light rare earth projects. Um, you know, they've got about three or four light rare earth projects and a number of the, the heavy rare earth ionic adsorption clay deposits, which provide a very well-balanced um, collective amount of, of the individual rare earth elements that have enabled the Chinese to build a very, very strong position in, in the rare earth supply chain. And something ionics are looking to, to grow themselves, some of that market. Well, that's right. Um, you know, we've, we've done a lot of work over the last... Uh, eight, nine months on, on the refinery piece. You know, we have for a long time understood that Makutu was going to be much larger than we had anticipated. Um, I, I think the reality is that, that Makutu is likely to even uh, extend beyond that. Um, well, you know, we've that's got a, a nice issue to have, Tim. Uh, well, yeah, look, it's going to be a very large deposit. Um, the drilling that we've done 
this year uh, further emphasises the, the drilling that was completed last year. You know, the recent phase three results on the exploration reconnaissance drilling has confirmed a substantial amount of mineralisation to the east and northwest of the project. Um, so there's, you know, a lot of upside to significantly grow the resource base at Makutu. We've also identified potential for continuity between the radiometric anomalies um, in the, the 26 kilometre mineralisation trend that, you know, where we've got our mineral resource estimate as it stands today. So, so we're very confident the resources are going to grow substantially. Um, that increased resource will support a, an operation that I expect will be, you know, far in excess of, of 30 years. On the back of that, producing substantial amounts of, of critical and heavy rare earths. So with that sort of um, supply, it makes perfect sense for Ionic to look at developing a downstream asset um, to, to, you know, to, to extract full value from this, this basket um, and be able to create, I think, a lot more upside for, for our investors long-term. And grow the company. And keep That's everything. right. Yeah, very, very exciting to watch. And, and I've been watching you for three years now and I'll continue to watch uh, from the outset, uh, outside and, and very exciting. Uh, oh, it's extremely exciting from, from my perspective too, Steve. Um, you know, it's, it's very pleasing to see the more work we do, the better the project becomes. Well, you, you, you started with the company as a project manager and now, uh, you know, progressed to, to CEO. Not that you probably weren't already doing that role um, while you're project manager as well, but, you know, there's been growth in, in so many ways with Ionic and, and that's one of the things that makes it exciting. You know, you, you, you're always doing something with, with the company and project. Well, I think we've got an asset that mandates that, you know, it's, it's an asset that needs to be developed. It's an asset that has so much potential and upside. Um, so it's How do we extremely refer to it, Tim? rewarding. A very oh, it's, unique it's, opportunity. Yeah, it's, it, well, that's right. It's it's a you know a thirty year plus ionic absorption clay. Um, I think the the term that's been used is um, the holy grail of rare earth deposits. As far as ionic absorption clays, they are extremely highly sought after. I mean, we're seeing it now since we effectively introduced ionic absorption clays to the ASX um, nearly two years ago. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of uh, new ionic absorption clays coming to market. I have um, noticed that too. Yeah, and and I mean, it's obviously it, it's great to see people um, and the wider investment community becoming more familiar with these type of deposits. Um, you know, there, there's a number of it's um, great for the market if if more ionic absorption clay. Um, projects globally that have been sort of identified as ionic absorption clays um, but realistically when we've had a good look at that um, you know as far as the ionic absorption clays with scale to support development um, there's ourselves and, and maybe one or two others um, that we're, we're keeping an eye on um, to try and understand how they're how they're progressing um, learning from what they've done uh, but also making sure that we've got a project that is, you know, reflective of, of the mineralisation at Makutu. So, you know, we know we've got something very rare. 
we know that the iron consorption clay deposits of southern China are being diminished. They're running out. Um, hence the desire from global groups to get access to our product. Exactly right. Now, another thing I'd like to talk about, Tim, is where Ionic's positioned with ESG, so with your environmental, social and governance. What's yeah, look, Ionic's obviously, position with that? yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very um, key focus. It's front and centre, as we've sort of put out in, in our presentations around making sure that we have a very high um, focus on, on the ESG and our, uh, our social licence to operate in Uganda. Um, there's a lot of work underway at the moment with the environmental and social impact assessment. We've got a number of consultants who are working for us in Uganda um, across the, you know, the, the baseline surveys, the documentation, the engagement with NEMA. Um, you know, there's a lot of work underway at the moment on the, the social um, and stakeholder engagement, um, listening to the the comments and concerns from the community, um, the feedback, trying to put things in place that means that when this asset goes into production, we can leave a positive lasting legacy in, in Uganda. Um, we can leave, you know, Something some the community of, can feel part of and excited about with you. Well, on that, and that's the thing. So the, the intent is that we're looking at developing a, a residential operation. Um, we're looking at creating employment opportunities for the local stakeholders. Um, there'll be training and, and, and capacity building. Um, and that's that exciting we'll in itself to, to help to see that you're helping a community grow as well. Well, that's right. So, I mean, at the moment we are, we're drilling, um, we're building our, our, our team in Uganda. Um, you know, we've started from a, a handful of, of, you know, effectively expat consultants who've come in and helped us to build the, the initial resources. Um, now we've got a team in country where we're filling out that team. I think we've now got four geologists in country who are supporting the, the exploration work. Um, so it, it is, it's rewarding to see these positive steps that we're making, um, communications and social engagement uh, in country putting things in place, working with the, the, the local districts at, um, you know, various government levels in Uganda, the different departments, the DGSM, NEMA, um, you know, across the board, we're having meaningful engagement, um, meaningful discussions about how we can build a, a long-term profitable business in Uganda that, that leaves, you know, opportunity for, for Uganda um, you know, the rehabilitation of the project areas, how we can leave behind the potential for, you know, economic industry yep. to, to thrive in, in those rehabilitated areas. So there's a lot of work that's been going into that. Um, it, it, it remains a key focus. Obviously, we've, all, we've also been dealing with COVID in Uganda. I was um, just gonna. I was just gonna bring that up. You took the words out of my mouth. What makes this your achievement even more remarkable is that you're doing all this during a you know, a world a global pandemic with COVID. That's right. It's been a, it's been an exercise um, to try and manage the the health and safety of the team, our local stakeholders um, via you know. Well, I'd just like to highlight for our listeners that you're based in Melbourne, Australia, which 
obviously has also faced a lot of um, heartache over the last 18 months, you know, with lockdowns, et cetera, itself. Yeah, look, uh, I mean, we, we've, we've all got to deal with, with the challenges that have presented from COVID. Some of us, um, you know, have, have, it, have it better than others. And, you know, we've, we've put systems in place to be able to communicate. Um, we've tried to sort of minimise unnecessary travel to site. We've been working with various government departments to make sure that we are Keep meeting and exceeding safe. the requirements. Yeah, yep. that's right. You know, engaging with the local government to make sure that we've got approvals in place um, and they're comfortable with the measures that we've implemented in the field to keep not only our staff and our contractors safe, but, you know, especially the, the local community. communities. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly the, right. the, the local communities in which we're having to engage with uh, as we work through this, this drill program. So um, it's been, you know, a focus. You know, we've been fortunate um, across the project to date and the project areas, you know, but we have to remain vigilant. Um, okay. You know, we are also looking at ways in which we can we can contribute to the local, um, you know, medical activities. Uh, and so the company via our subsidiary in Uganda has implemented just some, some minor things that we can do to just help, um, you know, some of the, the health professionals across the, the districts. Um, try and maintain high standards and, and give them what they need to be able to provide care uh, to the community. Fantastic. Look, um, and also something you've done uh, since our last podcast is you've got two new members on the board. Uh, so I'd like to sort of talk about them and, you know, what experience and what they're bringing to Ionic. So let's start with uh, Jill, Ke Jill Keeley, and obviously a lot of uh, experience uh, throughout military and government and well-connected. So let's talk a little bit about Jill. Yeah, Jill's been a tremendous addition to the company. Um, Jill and I maintain um, a lot of uh, communications as we, you know, we're, we're very active at the moment with, with talking with a number of groups in the US. Jill's obviously got a fantastic network. Um, she's extremely well respected. Um, and I think her addition to Ionic um, enables us to have better dialogue with with those groups that we've been talking with on a more frequent basis um and having a, a local a local contact. local representation um and and to make sure that we are also looking at opportunities that present themselves um in you know what we're seeing in the u.s at the moment a growing desire to, to build that that independent rare earth supply chain well, there's been a lot um, and, of talk about rare earth even from from the president down you know for the last 12 months yeah, look, the, the rare earths and, and critical raw materials, um, we, we've got a, a basket of products, a basket of elements that are obviously perfectly weighted towards um, a lot of key technical applications, um, whether that be carbon neutrality, um, communications, aerospace and, um, and, and military. So we've got a basket of products that have a number of very, very crucial applications um, a number of OEMs in, in North America and Europe who are looking to get access to, to those products. And so it made extremely good sense for the company to have that representation um, in the US. And uh, to be honest, um, engaging with Jill, it's been uh, tremendous to date. Excellent. And what about uh, Max McGarvey? Obviously, yeah, so a, a lot of experience being in the industry for 45 plus years. 
um, both from that's a technical it. and a management um, uh, perspective? That, that's right. So um, Max came on board when we, we had to, to make a change on the board given, um, you know, com prior, uh, commitments from, from one of the previous board members. So Max coming on board was, was absolutely perfect for us. Max is a mind builder. Um, he's proven his, his, his pedigree and, and experience in, in building large-scale mining, um, uh, mining activities in, in Africa. Um, Max has a number of ideas on, on what we can do to, to accelerate and, and improve the plans with regards to Makutu, and we bring that, that experience in, um, in now. So, you know, well, Max... Everything you do, you can just see you're growing the company, you know, that, that you're positioning yourself to, to, for growth. Well, that's the idea, Steve. We, um, we're not here to, to keep milking it. We're here to get this thing into production and to use it as a stepping stone to, to, to go that next step in the rare earth value chain. So um, looking at getting Makutu into production is the first step. Looking at building a refining asset is the next step. And, and I think we'll be successful on those two fronts, which then opens up other opportunities for the company going forward. And as far as finance, obviously you've done a recent cap raise and, and raised 12 million. Uh, where do you see that getting you to? Yeah, so that was back in February. We, we raised the, the 12 million, um, I think at the end of June, we had uh, 11, a bit over 11 million in the bank. We're well funded to, to get through the bulk of the feasibility study. Obviously there's been some drilling that we've completed um, recently to increase the resource base for the feasibility study. Um, so we're, we're well funded to get through the feasibility study and meet all of our obligations to get to the point where we can submit a mining license application. There's potential for us to investigate a demonstration plant. Um, we're working through that now um, and, and that's forming part of a number of discussions on the strategic partnering process. Um, the demo plant, I think, is something that will help the wider investment co uh, community feel more comfortable with the, the project, um, the simplicity of it, the low-cost nature. Uh, also provides us with an opportunity to better understand the logistics of moving um, that amount of, of, of mineralisation um, and to look at ways in which we can you know, improve the design and our thinking around that first module. So um, the desire to get that demo plant also provides us with the ability to make some products for um, offtake and product verification work. Also provides us with some feedstock for us to be able to then move to the next phase of the, the refinery development um, assuming that the, the numbers are, are economic once we've completed a scoping study and we're, we're very confident with the, the approach, um, we'll then have a substantial amount of Makutu-based mixed rare earth carbonate that we can then look at doing some, some downstream verification, validation and piloting work on. So I see the demo plant being tremendously, or you know, field trials and demonstration plant being tremendously useful in better understanding the risk profile and the simplicity of the project, uh, the capital and the operating requirements. And I think the wider investment community get more comfortable with, with just how simple um, okay. Makutu potentially can be. Excellent. Look, Tim, uh, how, how would you like to finish off as far as, um, you know, potential investors considering um, Ionic, 
what would you like to say to them? Um, look, I, I think it, it's important that people, if they've got an interest to invest in the rare earth industry or the rare earth market, they want to get exposure to it. The best thing to do is to understand that, um, you know, understand the individual rare earth projects, understand the basket. The basket is effectively the, the DNA of a project. Um, the basket will give you a, a very good handle on the potential to be a profitable project into the future and, you know, where the project sits relative to its peers. Um, well, you can just so look I at the sort of time estimates is, is something I'd sort of like to just briefly mention. If you look at just some of the examples of the hard rock um, rare earth projects in Australia, you know, most of those have been going on an average of, of, of 15 plus years. Um, and they're still, you know, they're still doing the studies, you know, to, to take it forward. So you, you've done all that work in the space of you know, two years, um, which I think is a you know, good example of, of the difficulties between the, the two different types of, um, ionic, uh, sorry, rare earths. Yeah, look, I think that's right, Steve. Uh, I think it's also important to understand the capital hurdle as well. Um, you know, if you've got a large capital price tag on your project, it's understandable that these companies might be studying it for, for decades because, you know, until they can source that, that significant amount of capital to, to move the project forward, um, you know, the, the well, effectively going to be trading commercial? sideways. That's, That's right. Well, okay. I mean, and this is, this is the thing with regards to rare earths, um, you know, rare earths, what defines a good rare earth project is the strategic importance and, and you know, who's funding it? What's, what's the reason for funding it? Um, if you look at, look at, let's say, Linus, for example, Linus has had tremendous support from, you know, some of the companies that, that initially backed that into production. So obviously the, the Japanese investors looking at um, providing or getting access to rare earth supply right. independent of, of Chinese supply. So there's been a tremendous amount of support there from, from some of those Japanese backers. Um, it's the same thing when it comes to rare earths. The rare earths is going to be who's, who's behind the support of the project and the, the downstream industry that's created on the back of those rare earth elements. So I think it's important to understand the basket. It's important to understand the capital requirements, so that capital hurdle to get it into production. These are two things that, that obviously Makutu and Ionic Adsorption Clays have clear advantages over. Then you need to understand the potential social uh, or the, the social yes, economic license to operate. So the concern that, <clears throat> that, that stakeholders have globally around radionuclides uh, are prevalent in the hard rock light rare earth mineral projects and, and to that matter, you know, hard rock heavy rare earth uh, projects as well. So um, they're issues that typically you don't see in the ionic absorption clay. So when you're looking at a criterion of, of where you'd like to be, I think it's a very compelling um, argument to say focus on the ionic absorption clays that's where my preference has been and will be going forward. Um, and that's why they have the, you know, the, um, the designation as the holy grail of rare earth deposits because they have so many positive attributes. Um, 
when you compare them against the alternative, that they really are very favourable assets to be developing. Now, hopefully um, our listeners have got some great insights um, from, from this podcast and, and um, you know, go and do some, some research on their own and learn a little, little bit more um, with Rare Earths. But hopefully this, this has given them a good start, Tim. Yeah, look, Steve, I think it's, um, yeah, it, it's, in, it's in everyone's best interest to understand the, the differences between the different projects. I think you, can, you probably can also tell that given the, all these new iron and consorption clays that are, or claims that are out there about new deposits, again, it's driven by people who are understanding there's, you know, not all rare earth projects are created equal and the focus has been more towards let's try and find an iron and consorption clay. We know they're rare. We know they're difficult to find. That's why when the company had the opportunity to get their hands on Makutu, it was a no-brainer right. because they are rare and they're very, very hard to find at scale um, and in a jurisdiction that enables the, the, the development of, of such an asset. Right. Excellent, Tim. Look, uh, thank, thanks so much for your time today, Tim. And, and again, you know, all the insights that you provided our listeners. Um, hope they uh, hope they've uh, listened and, and take it all in. Yeah, thanks, Steve. And um, yeah, look forward to to doing another podcast. Um, you know, next year once we've we're probably, you know, hopefully we're getting very very close to having the mining license application in and uh, moving forward with uh, with all of our uh, activities to get Makutu into production. Well, it'll be, so, it'll be interesting to see where you're at in six months with all the work you've done in the last six months. <laughs> so thanks, Tim. Thanks, Steve. All the best. Thanks. You too. Thanks, Tim. Bye.